0: to seniors and the people who love them i'm wendy i'm binky and i'm cookie this is our third episode and today we are exploring types of residential care settings for when you or your loved one needs a place to go for your individual level of care first a little disclaimer Um, we're going to continue to talk about this every week and that is that um, we are not physicians, we are not lawyers. If you have a medical issue or a legal issue, please seek a practitioner or a lawyer to give you med uh, to give you professional advice. This is a support podcast where we are sharing our experience with taking care of seniors in healthcare. So you or your loved one might be faced with. The decision that your home care setting is not working out, either you just don't have the appropriate resources to manage it well or you don't have people to help you, Um, that decision is not an easy one to make and it can... um, be a really tough one to make, but we're going to assume for these purposes that either temporarily or permanently, you and your loved ones have decided to seek a residential care setting. So the first thing we're going to talk about is acute care. And there's a lot of confusion between acute care, long-term care, subacute care, assisted living. Um, I get the, this confusion a lot, don't, don't you think, Cookie? I do. Yeah. People don't understand the different uh, levels of care, and that's what we're trying to help with. So acute care is an intensive rehabilitation for seniors who have suffered a debilitating illness or injury or recently had surgery. Um, And if you have suffered from heart attacks, strokes, pneumonia, COPD, different types of surgeries that you've had, you might qualify for acute care rehab and you you need the hospital that you're at to determine what level of care you qualify for at that time because there are pretty strict guidelines. So even though you might want the highest level of care that you can possibly get, And I'll just use an example, like uh, if you have uh, your 95-year-old mom who's very frail and she's just not going to be able to withstand the amount of physical therapy that's required to qualify for acute care, then she's not going to qualify for that care level. Acute care specializes in those who can withstand the rigors of daily intensive therapy, Therapy usually lasts three hours or more per day, and while that doesn't sound so bad to the average, younger, healthy person, that is a lot for uh, people who are in fragile conditions. Um, Patients are typically given therapy at least five days a week. They receive daily face-to-face assessment and therapy plan updates. They will receive a combination of physical, occupational, and speech therapy depending on their individual needs. A multidisciplinary approach is used to ensure a functional return to each patient's daily life. And what that basically means is that you're going to be having a whole care team of different disciplines working on your care. And I think that's pretty true of most of these settings. But you will have more in acute care and then it kind of goes down from there. So you'll have nurses, physicians, social workers, therapists, um, lots of other different aspects uh, that will all be working to try to get you back on your feet again. Acute care gives patients a constantly moving goal that continues to improve their quality, quality of life until they can transition to life outside of therapy. Or possibly you can step down and go from acute care to kind of the lower level that's right under that, which would be subacute care. And Pinky's going to take it from there.
1: Wendy we say next step from acute care is subacute care. Subacute care is intensive, but to lesser degree than acute care. This type of care is for those who are critically ill or suffer from an injury that won't withstand the longer. Daily therapy section are of acute care. Sub-acute care is for anyone who needs treatment that involves intensive wound care, IV therapy, GI tube issues, major long-lasting stock issue, any malnutrition or eating disorder, or any clinical illness, example cancer, ALS, any other terminal illness in its early stage. Subacute care is also a great option for anyone who already completed acute treatment but still need therapy, regain full functionality. It is a less intensive therapy, then include the following therapy section that lasts for two hours or less each day frequent meeting with involved the patient, their family member, and their care team to ensure everyone is working toward the same goal. The focus is regain strength, mobility, and long-term functionality over the course of therapy. A combination of physical, occupation, and pitch therapy used for best result. Other therapies such as respiratory therapy, May be added as needed for holistic care approach. Subacute care for senior, while extensive in its approach, it's all about returning patient to their normal daily environment with the highest level of strength and functionality possible. After senior illness or injury, it can be difficult to make that transition back to normal life, especially. If it's a new norm, it's different. That's when subacute care steps in. It's allow patient to take their time adjusting to new quality of life, and emotionally and physically. Usually, subacute care is also short-term care. Usually, maybe one to fourteen days or one to twenty days. In some cases, it could be longer, depend on their illness, but it usually short stay,
0: which is less than 30 days. I think that's an important point because if you look up the Medicare benefit, it will say that you have 100 days eligible for you. But in our experience, most people do not get that 100 days. If they are there for... PT and OT, physical therapy and mm-hmm. occupational therapy, they're typically getting a few weeks.
2: And I might ask, if, as a person that is listening, a lay person, the question may come up, Pinky, and um, Wendy as well. Well, where is that done? Are we speaking of a hospital? Are we speaking of a patient care? Where do these subacute and acute care, where's that housed?
1: What Cookie's question is, Usually, sub acute entity is a different entity than hospital. It is not involved with hospital. So, once you example, you have a stroke, you are in a hospital. Hospital say, okay, you need to have a longer treatment before you go back to your normal life. You need a little bit longer rehab, which is physical occupation therapy, and that's falls on acute care as we explained acute care is a longer time of therapy subacute is a lesser intensive care on a base of physical occupation therapy but it is different entity like we call long-term care but it's not a long-term care It calls subcute residence kind of area where it's only you can stay for 14 20 days receiving Acute rehab in a lesser pace. Well, where do you receive it? At the facility where is go under acute care. What would be an example
2: of a facility that one receives subacute or acute care?
1: Example facility like saying subacute rehab facility, and that's the facility is it's outside the hospital ground and it's a Different entity, like other facility, just like the facility that you consider long-term care facility, but it's intense care on that facility that already allow you to stay there 15, 20 days. And it's certified by Medicare under subcute and acute care treatment. So one goes in the hospital, one receives
2: acute care. Someone comes up after the care is provided, A physician or discharge planner comes up and says, you no longer need to have that specific care. So we're sending you or you're being discharged to what you're describing as a subacute facility. What does that subacute facility look like? What is that? Is that a standalone building? What is it?
1: It is a standalone building where is all entity of acute care provided, but on a lesser speed. In other words, you can be there for 15 days, 20 days, mostly shorter time. In a medical term called less than 100 days. It's not going to be permanent. Like sometime when you have a stroke, it takes six, seven months to come back to your functionality. Now, subcute would not keep you for six months to become come to first. They will keep you 30 days until you get and then you get to the other facility which will go come after this and get continuous therapy for six months, seven months, eight months until you get your functionality that you used to do before your illness.
0: I think that takes us into longer-term care facilities. And Cookie's going to take that one away.
2: Okay, so uh, let's be straight. When we think about long-term care facilities, we are talking oftentimes, um, as Pinky described, you're receiving subacute care, but the subacute care has trans is transitioned into something that's longer, which means you go someplace else. Usually that someplace may be a nursing home or it's also called a nursing facility and there's a bad connotation for some people generally stay away from calling them nursing homes today in 2022 so they are called long-term care nursing facilities rehab centers
0: i hear it called skilled nursing a lot even though once you're in the long-term care sections of it you're not receiving skilled nursing i hear that those words for the layperson
2: exactly so and it's, um, I think it's a frightening experience for many people after they've had a debilitating um, onset. But it not necessarily mean that you're going to be in that place forever. But the idea of being in a nursing home usually is perceived as the last stop for most people. So I want to kind of expound on that a bit in my discussion But I want to also introduce a very interesting statistic, simplyinsurance.com, and what they state in their statistic is that 1.5 million people today reside in nursing homes, and that's in the United States. I can only speak for the United States, but I'm sure there are different statistics worldwide. And as I stated, nursing homes are the first thing many people think of when they consider long-term care, and what these types facilities um, offer are on-call medical professions, professionals 24 hours a day, often to address many of the emergencies that take place when you are admitted to a facility. The services range significantly to size, services, amenities, and so many of the residents have many options and alternatives to consider. My experience is approximately 20 years plus in a long-term care facility. And what I have noted and have experienced that many people come in mainly for physical and occupational therapies. And in addition to that, I see many come in for many of the skilled nursing services. Some come in on feeding tubes. Some come in for IV care. Some come in for wound care. Oftentimes um, people get better and they resume their health and they're able to return back home. What I've also experienced in my um, role as a social services director in a long-term care facility is that we're finding more people coming in with a lot of the problems that we address in society today, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, homelessness, these are many other kinds of issues that we encounter on a day-to-day basis.
0: I, I also think there's many seniors that you know, are, are living in families in crisis, and their families just don't have the means Or they're just not present to lend that assistance that maybe more traditionally in our country we
2: saw. Exactly. When I started out in the field, I thought that my only experience in the arena would be for be with docile, sweet, gentle old ladies that (laughs) um, that, um, would be... uh, my main interactions on a day-to-day basis and of course i that 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 has been my training but as i just stated there are so many other different kinds of care that is necessary in the long-term care facility
0: and i think this podcast is about seniors yeah. but also in long-term care centers there's a lot of young people there exactly people that have debilitating medical conditions with nowhere else to go you know, I have a brother that has cerebral palsy and, um, you know, is very dependent for most ADLs. And if we weren't here, it's likely he would be in a nursing home. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it's hard when you have those uh, cases like that because, in general, nursing homes are not, you know, they're not set up to take care of young people.
2: And that's a good point because... And Pinky touched on this in our uh, previous episode, but who pays for this? Who pays for one being in a long-term care facility? How many days are you able to be provided that kind of care? And I know that there have been many issues related to payment in long-term care facilities. What happens after that? I know we're not going to really stay on this. But that's something that you know. I know Pinky, as a clinical reimbursement coordinator, you have experienced that often when someone has not met or is not able to meet the criteria for long-term care. What well, all of that means?
1: Well, Cookie said it's right, but that is almost two-hour, three-hour conversation. <laughs> it really is. It is very deeply involved because it's run by. Our state Medicare, CMS, government and medical assistance system. So there is several system that run this program differently. So we are going to go on those kind of issues later time on our podcast. For today's podcast, we're going to state the choices we have right. where we can go and we is going to take over again on other choices that we have
0: but I think it's safe to say that if you have the impression that Medicare is going to pay for your future in a nursing home or an assisted living facility, you need to get yourself to a financial advisor quick because uh, you cannot rely on Medicare. Medicare does not pay for any kind of residential setting. Um, Some state Medicaid's do, but Medicare does not. So please don't rely on that. And if you have that idea, which I think so many people do, I hear it all the time. What do you mean Medicare doesn't pay for this?
1: And that is Wendy's exactly right. Medicare criteria is so strict that mostly they will cover you for maybe 10, 15, 20 days. And that's about it. Rest of his falls on a family. Another program, medical assistant program, they think they pay for it. Well, I don't have any bank account, so the state will pay for it. It doesn't matter. You don't have account, but you have a house. Medical assistants say you have income. You had a house. It costs the money. So that is very detailed financially talk. We are going to come through our podcast. But present time today's point.
0: We're going to move on to cooking covering assisted living facility. Okay,
2: so there are times when you may need a little help, and that help allows you to be residing in a particular environment where you live still somewhat independently, but just need some assistance. And there have many what we call assisted living facilities throughout the country. Um, assisted Living's furnish a place to live. They offer meals three times a day. They offer assistance with what we call activities of daily living, such as dressing, bathing, e- eating, and managing medications. But it's only assistance. It's not something that requires you to have a particular nurse all the time or a physician as you have pretty much in a long-term care facility. Um, assisted living are viewed as um, a step up from being in a skilled nursing facility. You have improved. You can live independently to some extent, but you still need supervision. So when I think of an assisted living, I think of an opportunity for, for one to be provided assistance, but not to have, to have some, not as many restrictions. You can pretty much leave out the assisted living. You can have outings. You can have outings for family members. If you are able to maneuver and manipulate yourself for certain equipment, you're able to leave your particular assisted living and return with some restrictions, but it's a level of care that still provides a safe environment for seniors. Assisted living facilities also tend to have a less institutional look than nursing homes, as I previously stated, but these facilities are not as highly regulated by the government as nursing homes. Today, There are over 800,000 Americans that live in assisted living facilities. In my experience, assisted living facilities vary widely in the service that they provide. Um, Some provide minimal support and supervision, and some provide support to people who need help with all activities of daily living. And oftentimes, when you are considering an assisted living, when an assessment is done, you are evaluated on what's called a level one, a level two, or a level three type of care. Um, Medicare does not pay for assisted living care. Some state medical assistance programs will pay for some services in assisted living care. There's a program called Medical Assistance Waiver Program, which I've had a lot of experience in the past. The, the catch, to some extent, and from a Merlin perspective and getting into um, an assisted living that provides medical assistance through the waiver program is that you should be in a nursing home for a period of time. And then when you start improvement, then you, um, your social worker in the nursing home helps you to transition to the medical assistance waiver program through that process. There's, a, there's pretty much a strenuous process, but it does happen. I'm going to continue on with um, a continuing care retirement community. And uh, this is from the um, AARP.org that you can also reference. A continued care retirement community, also known as a CCRC or life plan community, is a long-term care option for people who want to stay in the same place through different phases of the aging process. Um, there are about 1,900 CCRCs nationwide, according to the nonprofit National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care. Um, Continued care communities offer different types of housing and care levels based on an older adult's needs and how they change. For example, a resident can start out living independently in an apartment and later transition to assisted living within that same community to get more help with their activities of daily living. Or, in some cases, their health declines, more care is needed, and so they transition to what's called a skilled nursing or comprehensive care floor. But it's all still part of that same continuing care community. The chief benefit of a continuing care community is that they provide a wide range of care services and activities in one place. They offer residents a sense of stability and a familiarity as their abilities or health conditions change. But that comes at a cost, uh, and I can say that personally because I am. Currently involved in working with a CCRC, there are many um, many communities charge an entry fee, and the entry fee, is so much as an initial payment of four hundred two thousand dollars, and the fees can range widely from forty thousand dollars to more than two million dollars, according to the um, National Institute of Care, which tracks. Cost at about 1,100 CCRCs in 99 major United States uh, markets. Once residents move in, they pay monthly maintenance or service fees. Other continued care communities operate on a rental model with no upfront fee. The average monthly charge across both types of communities in the third quarter of 2021 was $3,555, and rents typically rise about 2% a year. So, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for seniors as they continue to age and as they continue to need more help and assistance. But well, once you're there, you have what's called lifetime contracts and you don't have to go anywhere else. There are some other caveats that are involved, particularly for those that aren't Medicare certified. So if you have to have a skill, Service You may have to go out of your building or your your current environment to continue with a rehab, skill rehab or, or something of that nature if you need IV services, if you need uh, freedom to, But you always are able to return back once you become more stable. So you think of a CCRC as something that you kind of like live out your life in. And from that, I'm going to move on to um, Wendy, and she's going to talk about group homes.
0: So group homes are, um, I got this information from SeniorLiving.com. There's so many great resources out there. Uh, a senior group home is a living environment that does not provide the high-level of care of nursing homes, but gives seniors an option to live among their peers. Personal care is not generally Done in a senior group home as residents are expected to manage their own personal care. Medication reminders are given, and each one is going to be different in what they offer. Um, So typically, residents have to be able to function independently at a certain level to get into a group home. But I know there are group homes that also offer varying amounts of services. So it really will depend. Um, And while A senior group home is going to expect you to be a little bit more independent. And um, some of them have activities, some of them don't. I would say my warning for group homes would be that they are not as heavily regulated by the government um, as nursing homes or even assisted living facilities. So I think you have to really do your homework and vet a group home before thinking about that for a loved one. You really have to go and tour and do your research and look up, you know, reviews of that place. Because I think there's um, just some question marks. Generally, they're smaller, so they have less resources. But I know I've also taken care of patients that came from lovely group homes with staff members and owners that were very dedicated to the people in their care. So I think it depends.
2: Yeah, and as Wendy stated, my experience is that, um, at least with Merlin, most people who have um, group homes, they all fall under the umbrella of assisted livings. Um, There are the differences in the regulations, but you have some of the more, I don't want to say upper scale, but the more ones that are maybe more expensive, that have the larger kinds of activities going on, a more different kind of overview. They have wonderful opportunities for leaving the group home. They have phenomenal meals, uh, chefs that are actually um, employed there, and they have those that specialize in um, dementia care. So you have um, assisted livings that are dementia-specific, and um, that's something that we can also provide you some more resources on. But if you have a family member that you're starting to see some of the early signs of dementia, the memory loss, and some of the cognitive, cognitive skills starting to um, diminish, you will find that there are many um Assisted living that are dementia specific.
1: Earlier, Wendy said that uh, some of the group homes are not regulated by state, but all group home or assisted has to be licensed
0: by state. Yes, if they're so, not, that's a big no-no.
1: Yeah. But, so just to just to piggybang with Wendy that if you are looking for group home or assisted living you make sure they are licensed by state because the state does follow up every year for their licenses. And they have some checklists that they have to go by that group home or assistant living facility has to live by. And if they are not follow that, they can take their license away. So make sure with the group home you're looking for They are Maryland State licensed group home because there are some group home, like people open up and say we are group home. We are taking two, three people, but they're not licensed. So it's like uh, keeping a roommate, you know, taking care of roommate and stuff like that. So be careful when you choose the group home, make sure you choose the licensed group home.
0: All right. And I will talk about residential hospice facilities. and. Um, there's a lot of myths with hospice and a lot of misunderstanding with hospice. Um, there, so there are inpatient hospice facilities. And your loved one may go to stay at an inpatient hospice facility um, because they are at the end of life. Um, but it gets tricky because in order for Medicare... To pay the full amount for somebody to be in an inpatient hospice facility, they have to meet certain criteria and it's very strict. Like somebody might be really painful, but then they come into hospice and then within the first two days, the hospice really gets the pain under control. So now that patient is completely comfortable, their pain is completely controlled. Now they are still dying, but they will no longer qualify for the what we call general inpatient hospice. So in those cases, then typically the family is charged a room and board fee, which can be anywhere from two to six hundred dollars in my experience per day. So that can be really tricky. And the the understanding of what meets that criteria and what doesn't is really tricky because you might think your mom is in pain, but it not might not rise to the level of Medicare's criteria because Medicare's criteria is very specific that you have to be having to change their medications every day or having to treat certain symptoms every day in order for them to qualify. There are some long-term Residential hospices. Um, There's not a lot of them out there, and they usually do charge for that room and board component because obviously, if you're staying in a residential hospice for a month or two months or six months, even longer, I've seen, um, then you're going to be considered stable. Even though you have this terminal diagnosis and you are approaching end of life, you can still be considered stable. It's very hard sometimes for families to understand all of that and that's a whole episode on its own as well. Um, so we'll talk about that in more depth at a later time. All right, I feel like that was mouthful. What do you think? I
1: think it was too. I- oh, well let's take a break and we'll write back. Okay, welcome back. Now, each one of these options is very complicated and we plan on going into more depth on each of these in future episode.
0: A couple things to think about. Most people just assume that all medical institutions and facilities are non-profit organizations, but that's not really true. Most of them are for profit. In my experience, and I have worked for pro- for-profit companies and for not-for-profit companies, and in my experience, it does make a difference. Uh, some of the better facilities, in my and this is just my personal opinion, are those that are non-profit or are attached to a hospital system or are subsidized by the community in some other way.
1: And I agree with Wendy. That is absolutely right. With my experience, too, which I work both non-profit and profit organization, and what Wendy says, that does exactly my experience, that non-profit organize, has better organization, better care.
2: And there are specialized t- facilities, such as acute rehab facilities. We kind of touched on that. They're for patients that are recovering from stroke. There are also facilities or wings of facilities that treat patients with dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, I've worked in uh, a few of those, and um, oftentimes when there is a change in a person's or a patient's cognitive level, and maybe when they first came in, we didn't see some of the earliest signs of dementia, but as they continued to remain in the facilities, we did see some of the changes. different kinds of assessments to make that determination, and those residents did transition to the dementia or Alzheimer's unit in the um, facility.
1: There are also geriatric psychiatric facilities. There are also facilities that are specialized for facial need adult.
0: Some of the resources that helped me gather all of this information and can help you if you're looking um, for placement for your loved ones are agingcare.com, aarp.org, seniorliving.org. And we're going to continue each week to talk about these different resources. But truly, Medicare, CMS, um, CDC, NIH, um, all of these places are great starting points for, for looking. I mean, um, your local and state government Usually have great pages on getting help for elders, and online is where it's at. Because if you call these places, especially in the land of COVID, a lot of these folks are not manned very well.
2: Exactly. Yeah, and so we're we're pretty much wrapping our session up. We hope that um, it's been resourceful and helpful
0: to you. So what we're talking about each week. Sometimes it's pretty heavy stuff and you might be facing some difficult choices in your life right now. So we're trying to wrap up each episode with a little joke. So I'm going to let Pinky give you a little senior joke.
1: I hope it's a laughable joke, but this is what how it goes. Patient asks doctor. Doctor, you have to help me. I think I can see the future. Doctor says... When did it start? Patient answer: Next Friday. <laughs> I like that one. Okay,
0: working we'll on that one.
1: <laughs> okay, that's the show for today. Why do you take the phone to do that?
0: <laughs> all right, we're getting we're getting crazy now. Know, all talk. right, our next episode will be all about acute care facilities, as we promised. We would go more in depth with each of these categories for you. So please join us. Thank you for listening. If you would like to leave us feedback or you have any questions, you can email us at seniors at seniorscast.com. We also have our website up at www.seniorscast.com. And that's S E N I O R S cast.com. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, um, We are a new podcast and we could really use some reviews. So wherever you listen to your podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you wouldn't mind please giving us a review so that others can uh, benefit from that. All right, so that's bye for now. I'm Wendy. I'm Pinky. And I'm Cookie. Goodbye. Goodbye.